Welcome to the Torah Journey Podcast. My name is Rabbi Ken Brodkin, and I've been a community rabbi for over 15 years. During that time, I've learned that the wisdom of Judaism is powerful, but it's not always easy to understand. Our weekly podcast will enrich your journey and give you practical advice about how to apply the wisdom of Judaism to your life. We'll offer you insights based on the Parsha, current events, the Jewish year, and more. This is the Torah Journey Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be with you today. As our society absorbs shocks and changes over time, our vocabulary evolves. And over the months, I didn't think so much about the term woke. This summer, though, I read Barry Weiss's resignation letter from the New York Times. And since then, I was paying more attention to conversations about the woke culture. And Weiss wrote about having views that were derided in her woke circles, describing her experience at the New York Times. She wrote that, quote, my own forays into wrong think have made me the subject of constant bullying by my colleagues who disagree with my views, end quote. Now, over the past decade, I've come across a lot of stories of college lectures where students desire a, a trigger warning before hearing information from history that they might consider offensive. Today, it seems that there's just a more defined woke culture with tests of purity and thought. And on some level, we're seeing a, a broader issue in our society when people left or right cannot consider or tolerate another view. <laughs> After the presidential debate a couple weeks ago, I saw an online campaign from Fox News subscribers to remove Chris Wallace from the network. It's easy for us to look at these kinds of things with scorn, but then again, as Jews, are we not guilty of the same matter? I mean, we have a, a theology, an orthodoxy, 13 principles of faith that we adhere to. Maybe the point is simply that folks out there have their religion and we have ours, and there might be something to this. Perhaps people do crave a thought framework within which to function. Maybe life feels safer when you know what thoughts you're supposed to have. But I think at the end of the day, if we if we do see others in light, in, in a negative light for their so-called thought purity, why are we any better? And in this light, Safer Kohelis is actually a fascinating study. On the one hand, this is a book that's not only part of the biblical canon, but it's read every every year on Sukkot and Shoal. And on the other hand, at first glance, Kohelet would seem to contain ideas that are antithetical to Judaism. It's a problem that persists throughout the Sefer, but, I mean, for starters, just look at the opening words. Hevel havalim amar Kohelet, hevel havalim kol havel. Everything is futile, Shlomo says, immediately driving into the idea that the world just seems futile. But... Hold on a second. I mean, can that really be the case? The opening verses of, of Bracious Genesis present a very different picture, stating that God created the world and that the world is tov ma'od, it's very good. Likewise, throughout the Psalms, David, King David, declares that God's handiwork proclaims Hashem's praise. And so, in that sense, Shlomo's Kohelet just seems to fly in the face of of a lot of these teachings. Now the Ramban, Nachmanides, in his commentary on Kohelet, confronts this issue. And he points out that, indeed, it's true that God's creation is tov ma'od, it's very good. And that truth notwithstanding, everything under the sun, the entire physical world, is hevel. It's passing and transitory. And so God's creation is truly good, 
And yet, physicality is also fleeting. And so that's a resolution that sort of clarifies Kohelet. But still, I mean, the heretical ideas do seem to be screaming out from this book. And in today's podcast, we're going to consider the meaning of Kohelet and its central teachings really for our own life journey. Now, if we look at these issues, we might ask ourselves, is Kohelet a book that we should cancel, like they talk about these days? Well, the rabbis actually considered canceling it. The Midrash teaches us that the rabbis considered, quote, concealing the book of Kohelet, ki devarv sotrin zadzah, because its words are self-contradictory. Now, why didn't the rabbis hide or conceal the book? The rabbis answer, the Midrash says, because its beginning is words of Torah and its end is words of Torah. And so the implication is that there are apparent contradictions. But if we learn this book carefully, we will find a resolution that affirms the spirit of Torah. And in the course of Kohelet, Shlomo swings back and forth between despair over the futility of the world and, on the other hand, a sense of underlying purpose. And how do we resolve that tension? Rabbi Harold Lyman points to the name of the book Kohelis. This term is actually an alternative name for Shlomo, and it refers to the fact that Shlomo was makil. He gathered people together to share of his wisdom. Now, if Shlomo brought people together to distill his wisdom, it follows that he must have been sensitive to the underlying questions and concerns that people had in his times about philosophy. He didn't try to shun those questions. He actually embraced them. And perhaps the very questions about life that bothered people were also questions that bothered Shlomo himself. And, I mean, it makes sense, given the fact that he was able to distill of his wisdom in these two books, Kohelis and Mishle, as well as Shira Shirim. I mean, how could he have not struggled to have achieved these pearls of wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come in a vacuum, it comes through struggle. And that really gets us back to our first question. How is it that in one moment, Shlomo can say the whole world is hevel, it's vanity, it's utility, and then come back to the idea of a creator and deeper purpose? And I believe that the answer is that Shlomo was willing to take the ideas people had, indulge them, indulge in them, tease them out, and then slowly walk back to the wisdom of the Torah. And so in that light, Hevel of Volume is just a beginning. It's a first look at the world. It reflects a truth, but it's not the final or total sum of the matter. The total and final sum of the matter is really not arrived at until we go through a much longer journey. And in fact, as we engage with the passages of Kohelet, what we find is that there's this continual back and forth between these two ways of looking at the world. Take, for example, the third chapter of Kohelis, verses 18 through 22. Shlomo begins with the observation that man is seemingly no better than animal. The fate of man and the fate of beasts, he writes, is the same. As one dies, so, so the other. All go to one place. All come from the dust and all return to the dust. Now that seems to be an anti-Torah thought. The Torah clearly places Adam with his Nishmas Chaim, his living soul, above the animals that man is destined to rule over. But then Shlomo steps back and he says, no, man really is different than animal. Mi ruach adam, he says. Who knows the spirit of man, ha'olahi lamala, that goes on high, ruach lamato, while the, the spirit of animal just descends into the earth. 
And that idea gets echoed further out in the Sefer as he speaks about how man is brought to judgment for his deeds. And it's a sentiment that, of course, is in line with the Torah, which believes very much in human accountability. So what is happening in these verses regarding man and animal? Is Shlomo contradicting himself? Yes. He opens the sequence, giving first a voice to this idea that man is no different than animal. That's the vexing idea. We just all simply die. And there is truth to that statement, but it's just not the whole picture. And the next point in the sequence is that while both man and animal are made of dust, nevertheless, there is more to man than dust. And that is an enduring theme in Kohelet as Shlomo comes back many times to the idea that man is judged and held accountable for his life. Um, Here's another example of how Shlomo takes two looks at things. In the 11th chapter, Shlomo states, Smach b'chor b'yaldusecha. O youth, enjoy yourself while you're young. Let your heart lead you to enjoyment in the days of your youth. Follow the desires of your heart and the glances of your eyes. Wow. I mean, how could Shlomo tell us that we should follow after our eyes? Moshe wrote, and we say in the Shema that we should not stray after our heart or after our eyes. I mean, is all restraint to be removed? Well, hold on a second, because the verse actually continues. It says, Follow the desires of your heart and the glances of your eyes. Vida and Noel, Kiel Kol Ela Elokim Bemishpat. Know that for all these things, God will bring you to judgment. Well, now suddenly the verse looks very different. What could have been taken as secular or hedonist is actually teaching us that God will judge us for what we will do, and we have to be joyous in that light. And by the way, this really touches upon a theme that Shlomo just comes to time and time again throughout this book, and that's the theme of happiness, Simcha. On the one hand, there is futility and vexation of spirit here, but on the other hand, Shlomo clearly articulates that we should rejoice in what we have while we have it. We're told to enjoy our portion, rejoice in our youth, love the wife the wife of our youth, consider all that we have a gift of God, and still to know that we'll be brought to judgment. And so that's a real key to Kohelet. Sometimes people actually read this and they they kind of get the, the impression that there's a dark nature to this book. And it's not true. It's actually very positive and upbeat. It's just punctuated by a certain sober awareness. Rejoice, but do it with an understanding that in the long term, you're going to have to answer for the way in which you rejoice. You're accountable. There's happiness, deep joy in living that way. Now, in any case, Shlomo consistently just moves back and forth between these two views of the world. He seems to embrace a heretical view, but then he walks it back to a Torah approach. And so standing back, there is something very important happening in this work. There's a a human tendency to want to know what we should believe, and yet there's also heretical voice within us. And Shlomo says, don't shun either side of you. So how do we how do we engage with our heretical tendency? And I think the answer is that we engage. We talk with that side of ourselves. Shlomo doesn't squelch the heretical voice. He engages with it, first accepting it at face value, but then challenging it and walking it back to the Torah. This approach of engaging our questions and doubts is really the bedrock of Kohelet. 
one of the deepest joys in life is engaging with the different sides of our mind, going for a long walk, asking, what do I really and truly believe? Uh, Just last week, a woman in our class asked a, a deep question about the relevance of certain parts of our liturgy. And it was so important. It led to very important conversation about our relationship with the tefillah. On a personal level, I've thought a lot about biblical criticism. On the one hand, I can find that Bible criticism jars me, just going against the grains of my the grain of my belief. But on the other hand, it fascinates me, and I don't want to ignore it. So I engage with it in a balanced way, and I, I find in the end that Bible criticism doesn't define my relationship with the Torah, but I keep it nearby, and I look at it, I have conversations with it. I don't cancel it. And so the counter-cynical voice is part of my book, even though in the conclusion, in the end conclusion, I believe that God is speaking to me through the Torah. And so there can be a natural tendency to feel in life, we can't talk about that other stuff. And that's really not the approach of Shlomo. He goes into the deviant thoughts, no trigger warning. And that approach just teaches us about our own journey. In our journey, we've got two voices speaking within us. There's the part of us that looks at the mystery of creation and the profound depth of Torah. We go for a long walk in the beach. We see the power of the ocean. We delve into the words of the Ten Commandments or the golden calf or Yeshayahu. How could it be that God is not speaking to us through creation or through the Torah? And that's one voice. And there's another voice that looks at things in a more materialistic way. The universe is a series of accidents, and the Torah is just a compilation of wisdom over time. We can't squelch that voice of doubt, but we engage with it and we speak to that voice. And we also become more versed in the Torah in our lives so that we can challenge that voice and and walk it back. And how do we do that? And I think that we engage with our inner voices and with the Torah. We read the Psalms, Tehillim. We study Chumash with Rashi. We take time for introspection. We get comfortable asking ourselves the deepest questions and consider those questions in light of deep Jewish learning, as well as our own inner voice that does see the infinity of God, of creation, and of the Torah. And in the end, if we open ourselves to the message of Kohelet, we will find that God is speaking to us, calling to us for mitzvot and fear of God, and teaching us, this is the sum of man. Thank you for joining us for the Torah Journey podcast. We will return in two weeks' time on Thursday, October 22nd.